Good morning. If you're just joining us, my name is Andrew. I'm the pastor for this congregation. I'm glad to see you today. I've had some questions rolling in my mind, really for a long time, but particularly this week. Here, here, here they are. How is it possible for two people to claim to be Christians, to be card-carrying Christians, so to speak, but to live such different sorts of lives? For example, I've heard in the news in the last several weeks about this trial of this, this uh, far right-wing murderer guy from Norway. Have you heard about this? He came and killed about 70 people, I think, last summer in Norway and because he thinks he's on a mission from God to kind of prevent the secularization of Norway. So he claims to be a Christian to be doing God's work, but he's murdering people. So how can, how can you claim to be a Christian and yet do those sorts of things? And perhaps you're here today in church for the first time in a long time because you encountered people like that who claim to be Christians but then behaved in a very uh, unchristlike manner, and so it, it puts you off to the church. Or how about this? How is it that you meet some Christian people who just seem to have sort of a, the power of God working in their lives? Have you ever met anybody like that? Maybe it was a grandmother you knew a long time ago, your neighbor, somebody that you've seen, and you think that person isn't just saying it, but they're living it in a different way. I, I encountered this personally last week. Some of you have known that my wife has been ill for uh, about five months dealing with a weird form of dizziness, and we think she's on the right track, but it's been a real struggle, and a lot of people know about it, and a friend of mine named Robert Smith, who uh, works at Highland Park United Methodist, came to me last week and said, I just feel like I need to pray for you and Elaine. Can I pray for you? And I said, yes. So we walked down to the chapel at Highland Park Methodist and kneeled down on the communion rail, and he prayed for me. And I'm, I'm telling you, to hear Robert pray, it's not, just the, it's not words, it's not just a lot of noise. You think, this is somebody who's talking to his God. It is a powerful experience. Robert actually is going to be here preaching in a couple of weeks, and I'm really looking forward to that. I love uh, just who he is and what God is doing in his life. But how is it that Robert is a Christian, like other Christians I know, but he prays with kind of a, there's an intimacy there, there's a power. Where does that come from? Or even this past week, I was talking to somebody who doesn't come to this church from another part of the state, and he and his wife have just gone through some real hard things with their kids, some of the worst things you can imagine. And he said, you know, our faith, though, has sustained us. How is it that you can be uh, a Christian in a certain sense and have certain things happen to you but still not let it wreck you? In fact, you still trust God through it. Where does that come from? It seems like to me that the answer to that would be a pretty important answer because I don't know about you, but I'd like to live that kind of life. I'd like to have a life that doesn't just say I'm a Christian and allow me to do ugly things, but that I want to claim the name and live in God's power in a certain way. I want to, I want to pray the way Robert prays, with, with a trust and, and a conversation with the Lord. I want to have the kind of faith that my friend did that I was talking to this week that says, regardless of what happens, as we just sang in the song, I'm going to rise up and call myself blessed. Where does that come from? Jesus actually talks about it in a passage I want to read about today. And he says, in fact, that this sort of power in your life, these effects, in fact, he calls it fruit, is actually very simple. There's a very simple principle behind it. The passage I'm going to read comes from John chapter 15. Now, we read the Bible, and it's the Bible. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's like religious, it's the Bible. If you've been in church, you've heard it. If you haven't, it just seems sort of churchy. But you've got to remember, of course, particularly in the words of Jesus in the New Testament, these, these are words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. In fact, the context for what I'm about to read is on what we call the, the night of the Last Supper, the night before he died, the Thursday evening before he was crucified on Friday. 
Now, his disciples didn't know that what was going to take place the next day, but they sort of had a clue, and Jesus, of course, knew himself. So he's speaking to his disciples, and he's giving them his final words. In fact, fancy Bible scholars call it the farewell discourse. It's important stuff. It's like, okay, I've been with you for three years. You've heard this. You've seen me do that, but I need you to remember this. This is where this passage comes from. And it strikes me that if Jesus thought it was important enough to share with his disciples on the night before he was to leave them, it's would be important for us to read it and take it to heart. This is John chapter 15. Very famous words. This is Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Let me just pause right there and say, in Greek, the same word that means prune also means to be clean. So it doesn't quite work in English except maybe to say cut off or cut clean. It's the same word. There's a word play here. So let me read it again and put that spin on it. Uh, Verse 2. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he cuts off to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cut clean by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. And just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Let's pray. God, add your richest blessings to the reading and hearing of this word and through my words speak and through our thoughts think and light up our hearts today O Lord amen so Jesus uses a very simple metaphor again don't think of it like it's a sermon don't think of it like it's fancy religious words think of Jesus sitting across the table from his inner circle whom we call the 12 disciples speaking to them Just a simple word picture that he needs them to understand. And what I'd like to do today is just unpack the word picture and just walk through it. And my prayer is that the simplicity of it will be a blessing to you and to me in my life. Jesus says, I am the vine, my father is the gardener, the vine grower, and you are the branches. And he talks about abiding, he talks about pruning, and he talks about bearing fruit. And I want to work through each of those things today. So I have here a plant, which I usually keep in my office. Now, it may look fake from far away, but I'm telling you it's real, and I know that because I get tons of flies now in my office since the uh, advent of this plant. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and my father is the gardener, the vine grower, and sometimes he prunes. So the first thing I want to talk about today is what it means to abide in Christ. Now, that's kind of an old-fashioned religious word, and some newer translations of the Bible don't use that. They say remain or stay connected by I like the word abide. I think it captures the full nature of it. To me, abiding means 
It means staying connected. It means staying there. It means being in the right place. It means waiting. It means keeping. We use in English, we'll say somebody is biding his time, waiting for his moment, biding his time. It's related to the same word, to abide. It means just to sort of be, to be there. And Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches and all I need you to do is just abide in me. I wonder if the reason so many of us lead lives of um, sort of superficiality is because we're not really abiding in Christ. And I suggest that this is the answer, abiding is the answer of why it's possible to claim the name Christian but not live anything like Jesus. And I think abiding is the answer to why we see certain people in the faith that we see, maybe it was your grandmother, maybe it was somebody at work, in my case is my friend Robert, and I see that's someone, that person, gosh, that person is connected to the Lord and God is working powerfully in his life. I think it's about abiding. So what does it mean to abide according to Jesus? And why do you think he uses this metaphor? Well, if you know it about abiding in regard to the vine and the branches, is that the branches aren't choosing to grow and the branches aren't trying hard to make themselves grow or to bear fruit a grapevine doesn't kind of clench its teeth and grip its knuckles and say i'm going to bear grapes this season a grapevine just does inevitably bear fruit so what does that mean for you and me i think it's good news i think it means that the christian life is not about how hard you try it is not about trying harder doubling down saying i'm committed I'm, I'm, it's, about, it's up to me to make these things work out. According to Jesus, the Christian life is in fact almost the exact opposite. It's just saying, I'm just gonna be present, I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna abide, and God is gonna work through my life. What would it look like if you were abiding in Christ? What would the fruit look like over time? According to Jesus, it would be inevitable. You wouldn't choose it. Over time, gradually, organically even, God would produce fruit. So what does abiding look like? Well, you maybe were handed one of these commitment cards when you came in. We're in the middle of this campaign and we have different components to it. But in the center of it, there's a section called grow, about spiritual growth. And I think on here there's some very, three very simple uh, elements to what it means to abide in Christ. If you look down under weekly worship, there's some options for your commitment to weekly worship. I would say one of the, I know this is simple, but I think simple is often helpful. The basic element for what it means to abide in Christ is to be in worship weekly. There's a reason we celebrate the resurrection every seven days is because you and I need to hear it. And although you could say, listen, you can be out at the Grand Canyon or even on the golf course and worship God, and there is a sense perhaps in which that's true in which you can see the beauty of creation and enjoy a lovely day. Real worship always comes from God's people gathered together. You can't worship God just on your own in your own closet, in your own garden. You need to be with God's people. So one of the first elements it means to abide is just to be in worship weekly. This past year, I had to attend an ordination event for uh, the Methodist church in which uh, we're a part. And I had to be gone for two weeks and I had a really bad attitude about it. And I didn't want to go. I didn't want, I was going to be apart from my family. I, just, I was going to be apart from my church. I had a bad attitude. And when I got there, my attitude did not improve Overnight. But the pattern of our day was we always began our day with worship right uh, after breakfast in the morning and we always ended our day with worship and we, had, we celebrated Holy Communion uh, every day. And over time of coming to worship twice a day, 
just for 20 minutes at a time and saying some prayers, singing some hymns, and receiving the bread and the wine every day with my hands like this. Over time, at the end of the two weeks, I realized that God had been changing me. I had become a different person just by experiencing that. Worship is a powerful part of what it means to abide. And in a few minutes, we're going to receive Holy Communion. I just like to encourage you to be someone who just comes every week like this to worship, saying, God, I'm empty, my hands are empty, but I want to be here. And I think that's a first step that God will use to begin to work in our lives. But there's another element on here about what it means to abide in Christ. If you look at the form, it says uh, there's some options about Bible reading and study. And one of them says, I'm going to commit to read a chapter of one of the Gospels a day until I read through all four Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are documents about the life of Jesus and about how the early church understood who Jesus was. I'd find it hard to believe that if you were to spend time every day, 10 minutes, reading through a chapter, day after day after day, I'd find it hard to believe God wouldn't work in your life in just a gradual but inevitable way. One of the elements of abiding in Christ is to abide in what we call the word, to be steeped in it, to let the Bible and the phrases of the scriptures work through your thoughts and in, and in your words. I think it's no coincidence that on the cross, Jesus himself quotes the Psalms. So deeply as he, uh, uh, has he immersed himself, has he abided in the life of God. So perhaps your next step, maybe you're here in worship every week, would be to start Letting the scriptures work through, not in an academic sense, not in a, uh, even like a strict Bible study sense. Just let the words work. Just read them. You're not going to understand everything about the Bible. I think a lot of us are put off by the scriptures because we don't understand it. It seems difficult. I would just encourage you just to keep pushing through it. Just read. If you don't understand it, make a note in the margin and say, God, I don't get this. Help me understand it. And then there's a final part of abiding, which is on this card here. It's what we call kitchen groups, and we've been pushing that. In fact, one of our goals for our campaign is to have about 300 folks in kitchen groups. Here's how the groups work. They are not, they are not self-help. They are not therapy groups. They are not sharing groups. I think men particularly need to hear that. We don't get together every week and just cry. I wouldn't want to be a part of that, okay? And you know what else they're not? They're not, um, they're not something that makes fireworks, week in and week out. In this way, I think the, the vine image is so important. In our groups, we get together and we study the scriptures for about half the time. We just walk through it, just let it work in us. We don't have to be Bible scholars. You can come and be a part of our group and knowing nothing about the scriptures. I know one of the things that stops a lot of people is they're really em embarrassed. They think they'll be asked to, to find a Philemon in the Bible or asked to pray out loud. We don't ask you to do that, it's okay. You can lower your anxiety. And in the second half of the group, we ask this question, how is your life in God? In fact, perhaps another definition for what it means to abide is just to live your life in the life of God. That's just what it means to abide, just to give, to every day walk in the life of God. So we ask this question, how is your life in God? It doesn't happen when we ask that question in the group that someone sort of falls to his knees and says, you know, what must I do to be saved? Or Lord, help, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not dramatic. But I'd say it is organic and gradual and, in fact, inevitable. If you're with a group of like-minded people, all of whom are trying to focus on God and trying to grow in Christ, and you ask that question with an honest answer, and you answer honestly each week, which is this week, I don't know, I haven't thought about the Lord at all, or, man, I'm angry at God, or, or God's working in my life, regardless of what it is, I believe over time that question is a question that God can use. 
One of the things it means to abide in Christ is to be a part of a like-minded small group of people with whom you are working out what it means to live this life. This is why it's not enough just to be in a big group of people on a Sunday morning weekly. You need to, abiding means being with a small group of people over time. That's the secret of the Christian church. This is not my opinion. This is what Christians have been demonstrating for the last 2,000 years. So, abiding. Abiding is just to take your life and put it in the life of God. Just be like a branch on a vine that God's going to work through. You don't have to try to produce the fruit. It's not up to you to try harder or to plan on what kind of fruit you're going to produce. If you're abiding in Christ, I believe it is inevitable. I don't make too many promises on Sunday mornings, but I'll make this promise. If you're abiding in Christ, I think it is inevitable that over time, you'll begin to bear fruit. But what about the people this morning that are in a dark place? I know there's people here who are just struggling with hard things. In other words, if I could carry on the metaphor, it's like there's a storm. Uh, it's, it's, it's dark out and, and the winds are blowing. All the more important than to abide in Christ. In fact, what people who know anything about gardening know, which I don't, what they know is that, in fact, the storms are in some sense necessary to the future fruit. We've heard this year in Texas, you know, we had such a mild winter that the farmers are a little bit worried because the fruit won't be produced that needs to be produced because the trees will start to flower earlier or so on. So, in fact, if you're in a storm this morning, maybe it's more important than ever for you to abide in Christ and trust that as long as you're connected to the vine, as long as the life of God is still working in, in your heart and mind and soul, as long as you're abiding, God will still produce fruit. So if you're here this morning, my word of hope to you is just stay connected, just abide, regardless of what the storms are outside, just abide and trust that God will work. Now, you'll notice that it's not just about abiding that Jesus talks about. He talks about something else. He talks about pruning. The abiding part sounds nice to us, but as soon as we talk about getting out the scissors, it's a little bit different. Now, intellectually, you and I know, both from knowing anything about agriculture and just thinking about it, it's not possible to bear the kind of harvest that we like without a little bit of pruning. If anything, sometimes there's weeds around you have to cut out, you have to pull out the wrong things. Sometimes the tree grows too, uh, too, too much, you've got to pare off a branch here or there. That sounds nice intellectually. That's very difficult when it's actually in your life and God is pruning. I'm wondering this morning if some of you have been having a hard time because there's things in your life that have been being pruned away, being cut off, being cut clean, to use the language of the New Testament. Or could I even push a little bit? Could I wonder this morning if the reason some of us aren't bearing the fruit we need is because there are things that need to be pruned and we've been holding on to them too tightly? This is often particularly true for, for single people. It just seems often that in our culture, we're in relationships that we just don't need to be in. And your friends know it, and your parents know it, and deep down, you might know it. But who these people are that you're hanging out with, your friends, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, it might be the case that you need to prune some relationships away for God to bear the fruit that you need. I don't know what that means in your life. I have no idea. Maybe one of the things you could be doing as it means to abide in Christ, is just to be praying, God, show me the things that need to be pruned. Lord, prune away, cut clean the things that are, that are pulling me down. That's a question for you to think about today. 
I think about what's, what about in my life? What are the things that God needs to cut away? And I think maybe one of the things that so many of us have that need, God needs to prune is the idea that somehow the bearing of the fruit or the growth is up to us. That's a pretty, that's a pretty destructive idea, I'd say, over time. Because it makes it seem like that you're the one in charge, where in fact God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine and we're just staying connected. So Jesus talks about abiding. He talks about pruning and then he talks about bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. What does fruit look like? What is fruit? I'd say that fruit, in fact the Apostle Paul talks about it in another place, fruit is just the power of God working through your life. You know you're bearing fruit in your life if you notice more joy in your life, more peace, more self-control. That's what the fruit looks like. Can you imagine what it would look like if in your life, just those three things, you began to demonstrate more joy, more peace, more self-control. You talk about changes that would radically affect the relationships around you. That's what fruit looks like. And then fruit you know, comes into big things. It means people who give generously, people who, uh, in certain contexts, lay down their life for others. In fact, Jesus says that's the ultimate form of love, to lay down your life for somebody else. But I think all those things just start small and organically. It's just God working through your life, the growth of the Spirit happening just by abiding. What would it look like as a congregation if we were known for the fruit that we bore in East Dallas? Wouldn't that be a great way to be known? Not to be known because they, they, uh, not because they, they, they say that they're Christians and they have their little card that says I'm an official Christian and not because uh, they have great music on Sunday morning or great preaching or not because they have great, a great building. But what if the primary, primary way our congregation was known was through the fruit that it bore? Wouldn't that be powerful? In fact, one of the reasons we're doing this campaign is to talk about fruit and what it looks like. We're saying that these are some of the ways in which we abide, and I really think if we commit to these elements, if, we, if we're serving, if we're growing, and if we give, I think that God will use those things to bear fruit. And we talk about our building, this education building we're trying to raise money for. The building is not the point. The building is, is, almost, is almost insignificant. The building is just a tool, and we pray that if, 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 if we're doing the right thing in small ways, God will use the, our, our efforts to bear much fruit, fruit that we can't even imagine, fruit in the lives of eight-year-olds and 18-year-olds, and that's our prayer. And it's not gonna happen overnight. The vine grows gradually, but it's inevitable. And this is why Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you've come here this morning feeling burdened down by the weight of trying to live into what God wants you to live, I'd encourage you today just to take Jesus at his words, just abide in the vine, and let Christ work through you. We are nearing the end of April, so we're almost halfway removed from Christmas. And one of the big debates that lots of families have with regard to Christmas is if they're going to have a real tree or a fake tree. You maybe have this in your, in your life. And maybe you grew up in your house, it was a fake tree, and in your spouse's house, it was a real tree. And so you always have to make a compromise. Maybe this year, the plastic, next year, the Douglas fir. But what I find so interesting about that language, a real tree and a fake tree, is that the only way to get a real tree in your life is to do what? Cut it down. So, you know, you can take a tree. I get this out of our closet this morning. You can take a tree, and you can decorate it up, and you can 
put the lights on it. I have a little lights here that you could plug in. And it looks good for about a month. But what happens, what happens at the end of the month? The needles begin to drop everywhere. And in fact, if you've ever lived out apart from Dallas where you could actually do this, there is nothing that burns like an old dried out Christmas tree. You ever done that, thrown that in the fire? Wow, that is something to see. See, we, we talk about real and fake trees, but the point is they're both dead. They look nice for a while. You can dress them up. But there's no fruit ever going to be produced. And once that tree is cut off, that's it. See, I'd like to suggest that in a way, the key difference in life is, is the people who are connected to the life, the living vine, the life of God, and those who, regardless of how good they look, and you can have the lights and the tinsel and the decorations but there's still no life there it's dead and this is why it's possible as I said at the beginning to claim to be a Christian but not to bear fruit because if you're not connected to the vine there's no life you could be the best looking person in the world you could be the most moral person the most self-righteous person but ultimately there's no life there wouldn't it be great if we were the kind of church in which it wasn't about what we look like and how faint so we looked, but we were just saying, hey, we're just connected to the vine and letting God work through our lives. But the good news I have for you this morning, to carry on the organic metaphor, is that one of the things that Jesus does is that he takes <laughs> vines that are dead or, or parts of things that are just thrown away on the ground and he grafts them into the living vine. The best gardeners can do this, in fact. You, you know this. They take different sorts of vines and they graft them in and the living thing begins to take over the dead thing and incorporate it, incorporate it into its life. So the good news I have for you today is, regardless of what your life has been like or where you've come from, I believe that God can take you and graft you into the vine. And over time, the life of God will begin to work through you and fruit will be produced. And friends, that's my prayer for you and for me. Let's pray. God, would you give us a sense of what it means to abide and would you give us just the trust to, to give ourselves over to your life and just to trust that you're gonna work in our lives over time. And a trust that says it's up to you to bury the fruit, not up to us. And a trust that says, God, regardless of who we are, you can even use us and graft us in to your life and what you're doing. We ask this in your name. Amen.